Hey there, I'm Trisha Rose Burt, and I want to ask you a question. What creative work are you called to do but are too afraid to try? Are you an IT but dream of doing stand-up? A PR exec who longs to write a screenplay? Did the pandemic change your priorities and you want to leave your fully funded PhD MD program and go to New Mexico and paint? Or maybe you're like I was in my early career, trapped in a lucrative but soul-crushing corporate job when what I really wanted to do was tell stories on stage. In this podcast, we'll hear from artists who took an unexpected leap and found the courage to answer their creative call so we can inspire you to answer yours. Because this is no time to be timid. Welcome to the show. Hey, today we're going to explore the ninth principle in the No Time to Be Timid Manifesto, there is courage in community. For this episode, I wanted to delve into stand-up comedy. It seems like such a lonely profession, but as I found out, it thrives because of its strong community. And two amazing comedians are guests on the show, Ophira Eisenberg and Bethany Van Delft. These women are incredible. Ophira hosted the long-running NPR show, Ask Me Another, and she just launched her new podcast, Parenting is a Joke. Bethany's a regular performer and producer for the Boston Comedy and Women in Comedy Festivals, and she's been named Boston's Best Comedian on more than one occasion. I know them both through them off. I could try to describe their comedy to you, but I think it's best if you just listen for yourself. We'll start with Ophira and a piece from her comedy special, Plant-Based Jokes. So I, I, I have a coffee name. And if anyone ha- here has a uh, weird name, I want to hear it. Because I, yeah, you, if you have a weird name, you get into the vibe. You go into a Starbucks or whatever, and you use your coffee name. You use your caffeine alter ego. You have your Java pseudonym that you use to get your caffeine with as little issue as possible. Okay, who, who has one? You have one? Okay, what's your real name? Alion, yeah, that's way too hard. Yeah, that's got syllables and it sounds like too many other things. All right. Okay, so what's your coffee name? Ellie. Ellie. So cute. Nice, so cute. So cute. I love that you're like, and I am very cute as an Ellie. I'm extremely cute as an Ellie. And is that an L-L-Y, Ellie? Actually, why, you don't care. It's not your real name. Who cares how you spell it? Yeah, yes, who cares? Okay, my real name's Ophira, and my coffee name is Joan. Joan. That's a good one, right? Joan. Uh, and it goes great. It goes over great. Uh, however, there was a misstep because I went into a uh, Starbucks. I went into a Starbucks and I was like, hey, can I get a medium coffee? And the name is Joan. And then I just waited. And the barista goes, ah, that's my name too. And I was like, oh, 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 no, I've never planned for this moment. And she goes, do you also hate the nickname Joni? And I was like, I- I- I've never created a backstory for my character. <laughs> All I had to say was yes. Do you hate the nickname Joni? Yes, move it on. But instead I just went, oh, it's actually not my real name. It's, it's not my real name. And she goes, what? She looks sort of angry and confused. And I went, no, 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 I like that name. I like that name because it's simple. 
Okay, let's agree. That's not an insult. That is not an insult. Sort of sounds like one, but it's not a real insult. But she took it as one. Uh, and she goes, well, what's your real name? And I go, Ophira. And she's like, what? I go, Ophira. And she goes, that's a stupid name. And then she took the coffee cup and the Sharpie and she wrote Joni on it. And that's how I got my coffee. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was served in more than one way at that Starbucks. And you know what? I find their employees and their coffee bitter, I would just like to say. Ophira is just the best. I love her work. And now let's hear Bethany and a piece from her debut album, I Am Not a Llama. My son, my son has tantrums, like really bad, intense tantrums. Like he screams and he cries. Like if you saw us in public, you would think I was trying to kidnap the kid, right? I think it's important for you to know what you're looking at in a situation like that, right? Like, so if you ever see that, if you ever see a kid having a complete, complete meltdown in public, look for the grown-up nearby, okay? If the grown-up nearby has a genuine look of concern on their face and they're really trying to help this kid calm down, that is a kidnapper. <laughs> That's a kidnapper. That kid's in trouble. Do something, all right? If... If you see a kid having a complete meltdown and the grown-up nearby has an expression on their face somewhere between neutral and mildly amused and, and they're just powering through their agenda, they're just putting the boots on, putting the coat on like nothing is happening, that is a nanny <laughs> or an auntie or someone who's giving the kid back. There is a hard stop between that kid and that grown-up. So the kid's fine, you can, you can keep walking, everything's cool. If you see a kid having a total meltdown and the grown-up nearby is just staring into a light bulb, <laughs> murmuring, baby shark, do, 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 do. That's a jazz version. Baby shark, do, 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 do. Dog moms don't know that one. Baby shark, do, 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 do. That's a parent, okay? That's a parent. That kid is safe. You can go on about your day. Or you could do a kindness and kidnap that fucking kid <laughs> and give the parent a break. Both of these artists are beyond inspirational and I was just so delighted they could take the time to visit with me. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's just so great to see you. Hi, Ophira. Hi, Bethany. Hi. Hello. What I try to do in this podcast is really help people who are wanting to step into their creative selves, give them some encouragement to do that. Ophira, did I make this up? Were you in IT ahead of time and then became a stand-up? Uh, it was, I mean, be, when I became a stand-up is a interesting phrasing. When do you become a stand-up? <laughs> exactly. When do you count from? When you make a living at it? Your first paid gig? When you decide mentally that you're pursuing it? What is it? When 10 years in, you're sitting in a musty, skanky basement waiting to go up and tell jokes. That's when you're like, oh, I'm a stand-up. 
Yeah, right. Because there are, it's so funny because I remember overhearing uh, two, it was like, whatever, people in their 20s that were interns at a show, uh, just they were audience members. And I just overheard them at, at intermission. And one said to the other, well, I'm not a writer, but I say I'm a writer, because that's how you manifest it. And I was like, no, 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 you don't do that at all. Do not silence writers who have worked their asses off. Okay, do it. And then you can call yourself something. But don't start. <laughs> can you imagine if I walked around being like, I'm an architect, people would be like, what have you done? I'm like, nothing. But soon, one day soon. The so I <laughs> and I would say, and then there's some people, I'm sure you do this, Bethany, all the time where people are like, oh, my friend does stand up. And you're like, oh, yeah, where? They're like, oh, you know, New yeah. York at the clubs. You're like, really? What's their name? And yeah. they say a name and you go, they don't do stand up. All the time. All the time. <laughs> oh, oh, you're Boston? Yeah. My friend does stand up. You probably know him. Skippy do. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. And maybe no, he does stand up at different places than you. And I'm like, there's actually no such thing. We all do stand right. up at the same places. We all see <laughs> right. each other if we're out there. Okay, so this is this is the whole point of this episode is that there's courage in community, right? Like you're all out there doing this thing together. Yes. And somehow I am thinking that you help each other in this process. We all know each other from the moth and there's, I know the power of the storytelling community. So I want to know a, a little bit also about the power of the stand-up community, but yes. let me ask you really quickly, Ophir, so what was your first act of creative courage? I remember I used to put on a puppet show, the same one, the same script, over <laughs> and over and over. I mean, I can't even imagine how many times I made my mother trot down the stairs to the shag carpeted basement for me to pull out the same puppets, same dialogue over and over again. <laughs> but I truly think about it with stand-up that I made the decision in Vancouver that I wanted to try it, but I had no friends in it, no entry into it. I didn't I didn't live in Vancouver long enough to even have any community at all. And I ushered, at, I, I volunteered to be an usher at their comedy festival and learned that other people who volunteered to be an usher at a comedy festival are usually people that are interested in comedy, including people that are trying to try it. And they told me about a weekend workshop that I did could not afford. I did not have the money for it. I think it was $300. And I think I had $302 in the bank. <laughs> and I had this whole plan that I was going to go to it. And then before they asked for the money, I would take off. <laughs> Not understanding that uh, these people know how these things work. Yeah. They ask for the money when you walk in. Very clever. Right? You are also yeah. looking to, you are interested in grifting as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was, it was a, it was a path grifting. going either way. Grifting, stand up. <laughs> grifting, stand up. Well, you know, sometimes um, suspicion and fear can be the same. And so I was suspicious <laughs> that a class was even necessary to do stand up. Mm. And so I thought I would see if it was just a ploy to take people's monies based on what, the, uh, like take monies based on people's dreams, or if it was actually teaching you something. So my idea was that, but I was also fearful about doing this at all. So, you know, I was able to intellectualize it. But then I got there and they said, great, yeah, well, $300, please. And I, I just went to my the ATM and I took it out. Yeah. yeah. And that was it. And then I was in a stand-up workshop. It, was a, it would be a long time after that until I called myself a stand-up or even took it seriously enough and, and put a little bit of that fear aside. But that, that was it. How long did it take you from that first workshop 
to where you were like, yeah, I'm a stand-up? I don't know. I would say two years before I started actually pursuing stage time, which is the key. Yeah. And then I would say when I moved to Toronto, which was about three years later, I moved there to pursue stand-up. Oh, wow. And also escape a boyfriend. But that's what I do. <laughs> I, I would break up with people or they would dump me and I would shift towns. Let's just, I'm leaving this town. I'm shaking the dust yeah. off and going someplace It was like old-fashioned ghosting. <laughs> <laughs> that thing, how about you? I interviewed you all those years ago for Yankee Magazine and know a little bit about your backstory. You were already an artist as far as being a runway model and you had run this restaurant. But what made you suddenly go, yeah, I think I'm going to do stand-up? Um, before that, I want to say... Um, you interviewed me all those years back because of Ophira. Yeah. So talk about community. How does community support you? Um, Ophira recommended, I guess you asked for a woman comedian and Ophira recommended me. So, and we I didn't even know each other that well at that time. Ophira absolutely supports people in such a great way. Like, and I think a lot of us do quietly without like making big fanfare about it. But if someone says, hey, do you know somebody? We go, yeah. You name like three people who are working who you like. Um, so anyway, that's that's to full circle the, yeah. the question of community. Yeah. As far as um, I too had um, playwriting stuff going on when I was little. I wrote, play. my parents are Marxist from way, way, way back. You know, so I was like kind of raised Marxist the way people are raised in religion. And um I wrote these plays, very minimal dialogue. Like I, someone would walk out, like one of us would walk out and go, I am the queen. And then another would walk out and say, I am the princess. And then another would walk out and go, I am the king. And then would go, no, we're not. We are the people. And then would bow. And uh, my mother would invite. Oh, uh, <laughs> my gosh. Okay, just to put this in perspective, I was like in a knockoff of laughing, and I was going across the stage going, sock it to me, sock it to me. And you're doing like, you know, Marxist oh, we plays. Were, that, that's just because that's what was in the house and on the walls. It's kind of like doing the nativity, but in Marxism. When I started stand-up, I was working in restaurants. I had been modeling for, you know, maybe 15, 10 or 15 years and ready to age out because they, they, um, they put you out to pasture when you're <laughs> 25. Well, it's Boston. So <laughs> you can work till you're like, um, elderly, like 52, which is like 30, right? 35, <laughs> no, like 35, yeah. 35. Yeah, I knew this was coming to an end at some point. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I, I was managing restaurants. And um, I used to take every adult ed class of anything that I liked, anything I thought of. So I took cartooning adult ed classes, um, voice work, all all these things that maybe I'll do that when I, when I can't make money modeling anymore. And there was a stand-up class and I took that. And um, my stomach was churning about it, you know, because I had severe, severe stage fright, like so, so bad that I couldn't really runway model for a very long time. Like the first times that that I was approached, I couldn't do it. I would like vomit or pass out or weird things would happen. And um, even in college, I couldn't do an oral report. They'd adapt it for me and I would do a 20 page paper instead of like a 15 minute oral presentation. 
Yeah, I was absolutely, absolutely terrified. I had the worst stage fright. And I wanted to do comedy so bad, probably my whole life. You know, we, we watched Laugh-In too. And, and uh, my, my dad was like a huge fan of Mae West and W.C. Fields. And my mother listened to Freddie Prinze and um, Richard, Richard Pryor. And I loved comedy and comedy was part of our life. But it wasn't for me because I couldn't get up and stand in front of people. So when I did start modeling, there was an idea in my head that this will help me conquer my stage fright and then maybe one day I can do comedy. But um, as things go, I got caught up in it and traveled and made money and stuff. So I kind of forgot the goal of, of you know, doing comedy. So I was in therapy and um, my therapist, you know, we are in like a – couple years in and she says so you know what do you think how's it going what what do you you know where are you now kind of check in and she said so now if you could do anything with your life what would you do and I said well I'll, you know I'll probably open a restaurant because I was working in restaurants and and I know I'm gonna be super old 30 35 <laughs> or 36 any minute right <laughs> So I said, I'll probably open a restaurant, and um, but I'll, I'll probably open like a cash cow first, like something near BU that kids kids will go to. And then, you know, I'll, I'll level up and then my third restaurant will be like my ego, my ego restaurant. And she says, um, you're, you know, I feel like you're saying that because that's what you do. But if you could do anything, I was like, oh, if I could just like be a different person, like if, if I could stop being me and be somebody else, I'd definitely do comedy. Like I'd do stand up. I'd be on Saturday Night Live because Ophira like checking it out to see if if uh, like checking it out but running away before they ask for the money in my brain I was like <laughs> oh if you are on Saturday Night Live if you want to be right so I was like so yeah I'd be I'd be on Saturday Night Live for sure and I, I do stand up and she says well why don't you try it and I said well you know I've got this really good job I've got a nine to five Monday through Friday in the restaurant world those don't those are that's like a unicorn and and I have this like this nice boyfriend and and he really puts up with me and if I started doing stand up and comedy and had to like move to New York or Los Angeles like I'd lose my apartment and this boyfriend and my therapist is like what are you talking about like you've already you've already made it not made it lost everything gained everything like just go do it go go yeah, take like a class take a class before you have do something <laughs> yeah yeah now I was like oh really how much later in the game did y'all get in comedy than the than the people who start out? Like, were you later to comedy? Like, and how much later? Can you put years attached to that? I just talked to a friend of mine, or an uh, episode eight, Hillary Graham, and she was walking into a writer's room in L.A., probably fifteen years older than everybody else in the room. It always feels younger, to a certain degree. But I knew I felt like, especially in Canada, maybe because that's where I started out. I felt like there was a lot of variation. I felt like I knew people that came to it after their first career when they were looking for a change. I felt like there was some 17-year-olds that were fresh out of high school that, you know, were loved it. Uh, I also, and then, you know, people in the middle. But I also feel like it's a little different now just in terms of comedy is popular now. I feel like when I wanted to do it in the late 90s and early 2000s and I was interested, nobody liked comedy. Nobody wanted to go see comedy. The you, People would literally say, I hate comedy. <laughs> they hated it. It was it didn't have a podcast life. Yeah. T you know, television had um, sort of reduced it. It wasn't a huge 
uh, creative outlet for as, as as the masses saw it. And especially when I moved to New York. Why did it appeal to you? Oh, because I felt like I had something to say and that was the medium that I wanted to say it through. But it was hard fitting in and figuring out where was going to be supportive within this huge um, comedy scene. So actually, and Toronto was pretty good, but like, I think like you can't do it once a month. And also you can't be at one place because every place has its scene and its way that people are doing it. At least that's how the way it felt. I think there's a lot more variation, but still, if you go to a Brooklyn club here or you go to a Manhattan club, uh, tourist club, it's going to sound very different to you what's happening on stage. Some of it might sound like poetry and the rest of it might sound like you know, a dick jokes. Like it just can sound very different of what is going on. And it's based on audience expectations and kind of the general tone of that place. So, you know, I moved to New York purposefully because here there was maybe opportunities, but moreover, there was like 40 different scenes happening. Okay. So you could find the place that supported what you wanted to say. Yeah. And how you wanted to say it. So how do y'all support each other? How does the community lift each other up in a way to just make sure you get back on stage? If you've bombed, which of course I'm going to assume y'all have bombed. Uh, you must bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everybody bombs. No one's going to get through that. No one's going to get through it without bombing. No one. Okay, tell me about your first bomb, Ophira. I assume it was the first time I was on stage, <laughs> although that was such an elevated experience. It's hard to separate the chemistry from the bond because some stuff did get a laugh. And, you know, I was like, <gasps> um, I actually think I did OK for the first few. And then, you know, and then reality sunk in <laughs> that I didn't have the chops and just bomb forever. Or, you know, you think you have a joke and all you have is a statement. <laughs> it's not a joke yet. <laughs> <laughs> But to, to the answer of like, how, how do you keep doing it? I mean, one is, it is like going to the gym. Yeah. I think there's some people out there that always claim to me that they run a marathon and they didn't run one day beforehand and blah, blah, blah. And great. But for most people, you train c consistently yeah. and continuously, uh, much like perfecting any instrument. And the only way it was stand up, just you can't practice in your house, so you have to hit a stage. So yeah. that's why you know, stand-ups are kind of notoriously uh, criticized for being such, like, hungry for stage time. Sometimes negative. They're like, oh, you'll just do stand-up anywhere. Or, like, you hear about a show and your first thought isn't, oh, I wonder if that show is any good. It's like, how do I get on that show? <laughs> how do I get on that? Who books that? You have to practice. You have to practice. You just have to practice. And that's also, for me, the only way any of the fear doesn't overtake you because when you're doing it all the time, you're doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. And so if you fail at one, you've got another one next. And there's no time to sit there and wallow. You got you to gotta figure it out and get back on the next show and do it again and start figuring it out and try to be a little subjective. And sometimes you go on a run of failure and then you got to regroup. But you just have to keep, you really just have to keep doing it. And then it just gets easier and you don't notice it. If you keep doing it, it becomes the norm. Yeah. You know, you just, like, you're just like, like runners, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I look at runners and go, how do you do that and why? Why do you do that? That looks why? awful. <laughs> it looks so awful for your body. It looks miserable. Oh. But I imagine Horrendous. they just get, they get up and they go and do it and they do it so much that they don't notice 
they don't notice the effect it has on their body. And I do think that when we do stands up the way we do, we don't notice the, these things. We don't notice the bombing. We don't notice um, the fear. We don't notice any of it because being on stage becomes the norm. And that's pretty much what we need to do to be good at it. That's just kind of how it goes, I think. Well, I think if it's any medium too, you just have to keep showing up and doing it. That's right. I, when I was a visual artist, I just never knew I could be rejected that many times. It just feels like with stand-up, it's like, wow, it's a, it's that immediate. It is very immediate. But then you also watch your, you watch your heroes fail. Like you watch people, you know, throwing out new material on stage is a process and it would be great if you could just boil it down and make it perfect and then put it out there. But that's just not how it works. You try it, you have to listen, you have to retool. That doesn't work. I mean, it's such a process. And then, you know, here I would say at the clubs, like I see all a lot of the famous comedians that everyone knows and love preparing starting their new hour starting their new tour preparing for their snl appearance and you hear them failing and how does it make you feel when you hear them failing oh i love it i was gonna say <laughs> i mean it's got to be reassuring yeah yeah absolutely and then what is even more interesting is then seeing how it ended up and realizing the huge amount of work that happened in between those two spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And real non-judgment work with yourself, right? You have to step back and agree to fix something and agree that there's something wrong and not be afraid of that. Not just be like a failed, a failed, a failed. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Here uh, in Boston, um, lots of comedians start their tours working on their hour at the Wilbur. And I, I work at the Wilbur all the time. So I get to open for someone doing their first their first time running this hour. Um, and then I get to see it that first time. And then a year later or a year and a half later, the special comes out. And getting to see what it became between the time that they, they did it the first time here at the Wilbur and when it comes out on HBO or, or wherever. And like Ophir says, that's like, the amount of work and the tweaking and just sometimes sometimes it's just a pause that changes the joke from, you know, a laugh to just uproarious laughter and getting to to see that, to see everybody do that work is really cool. Well, that's what I was so struck with in watching y'all. It was the negative spaces for y'all. More than the jokes you were giving, it was like the amount of time that y'all were pacing these things was remarkable to me. It was fantastic. Thank you. I still write in pen and paper and then I have some stuff uh, that I write on the computer and print out. It's a real disorganized mess of how my process, but I will say every, I'm just like seeing if I have a book near me, every single book on every second page of where I'm writing my actor jokes or whatever I'm doing says on the top, slow down. Oh yeah. Always. Because, and I made that mistake for years. I would just go as fast as I could and then, you know, pause and don't hear anything immediate. On to the next thing. Uh, and it's a it's an a, approval thing. It's like a needing thing. I also, I it is a power thing. You know, I think I have a uh, kind of ingrained female thing where it's just like, you don't like me now? How about 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 now? And I'll just nail it through. And if you don't leave that space, it's never going to come to you. Catherine Burns gave me some of the best direction I ever got. And historically, I was doing the same thing. I've always been funny. I feel reassured when somebody's laughing with, you know, it's, it, it's very reassuring to get that response. 
And I was blowing through things that really needed to land. And she said, Trisha, you need to lean into the silences. But it is that idea of silence. The use of silence is so powerful. Totally. We'll get back to the second half of our conversation in a moment. But right now, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Interabang Books, a Dallas-based independent bookstore with a terrific online collection. At Interabang, their dedicated staff of book enthusiasts will guide you on your search for knowledge and the excitement of discovery. Shop their curated collection online at interabangbooks.com. That's Interabang, I-N-T-E-R-A-B-A-N-G, books.com. Stay with us through the end of the episode to receive a special online offer. Before we get back to the conversation, here's some more comedy from Ophira and Bethany. I'm single. I'm sorry, I'm married with a child. Um, There's only two types of female comics, you know? And you gotta pick which one you are. You gotta pick which one you are, and I forget sometimes. <laughs> yes, I am married with a child. I have a, uh, I have a five-year-old son. And yeah, thanks. I know it's uh, so weird being here knowing he's at home alone, but I... <laughs> do the show you know you want to do the show uh, and I had him I had him later in life uh, when I was pregnant I was considered both high risk and an inspiration <laughs> and anxiety is a bitch I try to do I try to do like all different kinds of things to manage it I'm doing like a lot of mindfulness practice it really I feel like it really really works when you smoke a lot of weed um, <laughs> I make sure I get some me time. Like I get out of the house and do things that's just for me. I had a colonoscopy recently. <laughs> I requested it. The doctor was like, you don't need a colonoscopy yet, Bethany. I was like, do not mansplain me. Put that shit on the books. I, uh, I was Googling things to do for anxiety, and I feel like the first thing that should pop up is stop Googling, <laughs> right? How have y'all both been helped by the stand-up community? How does stand-up work together? I would say, for me, being a mother of <laughs> two young kids trying to do stand-up, is really, really daunting and complicated. And the community here is so supportive that, you know, when sometimes I have to cancel, all of a sudden, you know, one of the kids is sick or something happens and I have to last minute say I can't show up and they keep booking me. They're just, they don't ever go, oh, this bitch like <laughs> never shows up or don't book Bethany, she's gonna blow it off or whatever. 
they they keep booking me and when I show up the next time I'm you know like I'll show up with my tail between my legs like I'm so sorry I had to cancel they'd be like whatever you have kids man like so glad you're back and I'm like wow and these are over the years these become younger and younger people who are saying this to me so it's people without kids people who are having their first experience you know in a community where they come up in this thing together they 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 struggle through this thing together and grow through this thing together this is like my third experience with that that kind of thing you know but this is their first time around they still have the empathy and the compassion and are still so supportive about somebody else going through this different thing you know somebody older somebody not you know living a life that they're not living at all when covid hit there were people who kind of like just started doing stand up again right away and then i'd say you know sometime last year I think the scene just came back like it, or just like opened up. Of course, it, it had to rebuild and everything. But I'd say by last spring or summer, people were like back at it. And I wasn't. I didn't go back to it because we were really, really very concerned about my daughter getting COVID um, because she previously would get like the common cold and end up in ICU and on, you know, oxygen and everything. So I didn't go back to stand up at all right away and all that fear came flying right back and then it was the fear that was driving me to never go back maybe and start really thinking about what else I might do as a career um but again people these these people would call like producing shows and they'd say hey I know that you're not really doing stand-up right now but I have this this um show it's in a yard it's in a yard and we're asking for vaccinations and everybody's going to wear a mask. Would you consider doing that? So I did my first show after COVID last June and I was, that was way behind everybody, you know? And, um, and that's what happened for the, for that, the rest of that year, people would call and say, I have, I know you're not really doing shows, but I have this spot and it's in a huge warehouse <laughs> and everybody's going to be vaccinated and we'll all stay away from you and you can bring your own mic and, I'm like, oh, my God, it didn't even occur to me to ask for these things. And people are offering it. And now, you know, I'm out there regular now. I'm just back at it. But I still wear my mask, you know, because up until last week, my daughter hadn't gotten COVID yet, but she has it now. So now I'm just going to go out and act like a maniac. But <laughs> up until up until last week, I was still showing up at these shows, these like very young Gen Z shows with a mask on. And no one says a word. They just like, they just, it's like, hey, I'm just happy you're here. However you show up, I'm just happy you're here. Yeah, that's And that's fantastic. like pretty incredible. Yeah. How about you, Ophira? I mean, I would say the 98% of the jobs, gigs, shows, whatever that I have um, done have been because other comics have put me in touch wow. with it, given me the gig, recommended me. It is very much like that community if you're if you're good and you work at it and you know people have to know who you are that's just part of the thing so you have to be part of the community and an active part of the community and you're easy to deal with that's a huge part of it too they just people are like hey i'm looking for a comic to do this someone goes hey do you want to do this gig always i mean there is actually a lot of work out there of just a huge variety of work and People go to comics and go, can you, like, who are three people? Yeah. How to, you know, or it's all been through my peers. 
Hmm. I mean, I always find too, when I'm in my studio by myself going, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing here. I have to reach out to somebody else and run something past somebody or just reach out because it looks like stand-up is such a solitary endeavor, but it's not. 100%. You're running it past all these people, as you were saying, as part of the process. But I think a, a lot of times people start isolating if they don't know what they're doing or isolating if they think, you know, wait, this is new and I don't know how to do this. When in fact, it's like, if you don't know how to do it, ask somebody and get in there and get a group and be around people. Right. It just becomes too hard. It's too hard. I think that it just seems like too hard. And then you and you think you're so alone. And then you show up somewhere and you go like, ah, I just like whatever. I'll, I'll say to someone, I have like this new joke that I just can't get off the ground. It's like I, I've been working on it. It feels like 40 shows and it's garbage. And they're like, yeah, I've got nine minutes like that right now. <laughs> and then you just... It is a sense of just not feeling crazy because I think as artists, yeah. you know, we're not really part of the general population anyway, because we're just looking at things so differently often. We're seeing things differently a lot of the times. And so we need to be with the tribe that can help us just just sort of work out our vision. And, you sure. know, it's just really making sure that you're reaching out. Could you ever be where you are right now if you hadn't somehow been lifted by other people along the way? No, 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 no. And it doesn't even work like, like the, it doesn't, I think, work like that. For stand-up, really, you know, you go to a show, there's more than one stand-up on that show. Yep. You're not all pals and hanging out in a clubhouse before. Usually it's just a, a variety. And sometimes you are meeting people for the first time still, but you all are on that experience together. Mm-hmm. And and it even like there's there's very few um, jerks, I will say. They're out there. But I, I, in my estimation, there's very few. There's people that are weird. There's people that are socially inept. But there's very <laughs> few people that are just yeah. ongoing jerks. And I think you probably even know many of their names because social media does a good job of that. <laughs> um, but for the most part, you're all in this thing together. And so there, and so it's impossible. It's for such a solo existence on stage. You are all, all in this together. Yeah, and that's gotta. That's gotta make it easier. It's just gotta make it easier. It does. Yeah, and the comic after you usually says, you know, if they just walked in, they'll be like, "What's this audience like?" Like we also depend on each other to like set the stage and you're like I don't know someone's drunk in the front a lot of tourists in the back these people are noisy I love those and they're like oh okay got it you know like there's a lot of that going on too yeah yeah that's fantastic well Ophir I know you in particular are building community again with your new podcast parenting is a joke because <laughs> there is a particular community there yeah. of, like tell us just a little bit about your podcast real quick Well, I mean, like exactly what Bethany said, having uh, kids and doing, especially a night job, any creative job, but I think a night job, it's just, there there are no comedy shows at 2 p.m. I mean, maybe they are. (laughs) Don't want to do them. They're not the best. (laughs) Don't want to do them. I I never thought I was going to be a parent. And so I did that also later in life. And then... I felt very alone. But then I looked around and just realized all of these stand-ups, like a lot of stand-ups suddenly had kids. Mm. There was nothing for a long time, mm. I swear. There was like nobody I knew had had a kid. And then all of a sudden, it was just all these people. Don't really know why. I don't know if it was like some message sent down from <laughs> aliens that we have to create an army or what. <laughs> but it all happened. And I was like, oh my goodness, we're all having to do this at the same time. 
and we're all having to figure it out and we're all talking about our experiences I think in a way that is super fresh and different from what you might think of as like parenting comedy yeah. you know it's yeah. like mom with wines in the wine in the sippy cup is very different from that and it's um, very vulnerable and it's very truthful and I just love the whole thing. And I thought, while we're in this moment, I need to gather yeah. as many of these people as I can and talk to them. Uh, you know, as and uh, I thought the a good medium for that would be a podcast. Yeah, yeah. No, I listened to a couple of episodes, and I don't have children, and I was still like, this is fascinating. Everybody's got something that they're trying to navigate, you know, and to and whether it's you know how to be a comedian when you have children, how to be an artist if you have children, how to be an artist. And any under any circumstance, it's hard to navigate it. And so, just hearing how other people are 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 doing that, it, it's and plus, it's very funny. So that's always helpful. Humor is always helping. Well, I thought you know who better to talk? I, we're not we're no experts. Actually, we we had an expert on who is a, a an actual doctor. But you know, when people are like, "Oh, are you giving advice?" I was like, "No, no, 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 no advice. There is no advice on this. This is all about just camaraderie." Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No hacks. <laughs> I'm going to ask both of you this question. What is the thing that you're working on right now that scares you? Uh, everything. <laughs> um, I was like, what is she going to say? Because it feels like there's nothing that's not scary. New material in general is scary because um, I have a tendency, you know, you get some stuff working. Everything's always new at one point, yet when you get it working and it feels old, and then I will get in this place where I'm like, I'll never write anything as good as that. And so I feel like the new stuff, I'm like, this is terrible. That was my heyday. I got, you know, and, and you just you got to get past that. It's very, very hard. Uh, so there is just writing, you know, whatever the next um, hour of standup is. And then, you know, also scaring me, I... I was working in the solo show for years about all the scars that cover my body and people's experiences with their scars. And uh, I was working on it. And, and right before the pandemic, I had a little bit of a, a runway to make something happen with it, which evaporated. And now I'm looking at that material again for the first time. I actually thought I would never look at it again. I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And then I realized it it is one of the biggest stories of my life and I need to approach it. And that is daunting. Yeah. And also, I don't connect to the way I have written the material. So it's a process of looking at that as the Ophira I am now yeah. and rewriting it. And it is, it's, um, it's a lot. It is uh, a mind fuck, as they <laughs> yes. say. Hey, you know, I did that one woman show for years. And then I got asked to do it after I hadn't done it in four years. I took eight minutes out of the first act because I was like, why did I ever say this? Why does it? And I always felt like when I was on stage going, why am I still in act one? Why is this still happening? I don't, why am I here? <laughs> and I just never could figure it out. And then four years later, I'm like, because no one needs to hear that anymore. And just like, and it was funny, but it didn't move the story forward. And so it can just be used somewhere. So I'm excited about you looking at that material again. Yeah. It's hard. How about you, Bethany? What are you working on? I've been working on um, a keynote about the importance of storytelling and family engagement and collaboration. And it's it's something I did before the pandemic and then also somehow managed to do lots, tons of conferences during the pandemic, speaking to people 
either in the early intervention community, early childhood education community, or special education community. Do you have anything on the comedy front you're working on? Just comedy. <laughs> just doing comedy. <laughs> just, just doing shows. Yep. It is It is the ongoing. Just keep working on the bits. Keep putting it together. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Working on new stuff. Everything I absolutely relate to everything Ophira said about new material. I'm in the... I'm in the new material, old material vortex right now. I have some irons in the fire. Yeah. Um, but Mars is retrograde, so I'm going to keep it close to the chest. And when Mars comes out of retrograde, I'll I'll talk about the irons in the fire. Okay. That, I just made that up. Okay. I totally made it up. It sounds very convincing. It. Okay. Well, I can't thank y'all enough for joining the show. I really appreciate it. And thank you again, Ophira and Bethany. We'll keep an eye out for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. Talk about not being timid. I love that Ophira had $302 in her bank account and spent 300 on her first stand-up class. And she found out about that class because she joined a community of ushers at a comedy festival. And that Bethany overcame crippling stage fright and became the comedian she is today because someone who believed in her helped her along. Community, even if it's just one other person, gives us courage. And like all of my guests, Ophira and Bethany got me thinking. If you could take a class that would help jumpstart your creative journey, what class would it be? Do you have a creative goal that fell by the wayside? And do you have a community that can support your creative efforts? If not, can you start looking for one? Check out Ophira's comedy special, Plant-Based Jokes, on YouTube. Listen to her new podcast, Parenting is a Joke, wherever you listen. And follow her on socials at Ophira E. That's O-P-H-I-R-A-E. And make sure to listen to Bethany's debut album, I Am Not a Llama, on Spotify, and follow her on Instagram at Bethany Van Delft. If you haven't had a chance to download the No Time to Be Timid manifesto yet, make sure to visit my website, trisharosebert.com. And while you're there, please reach out and give us some feedback about the show. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you feel like this is no time to be timid in your own life, then maybe I can help you with that. In my private coaching practice, I help my clients to tell and live better stories. Some of them are artists and creatives who want to express themselves in a new medium. Others are leaders who want to motivate groups to take action. And many of them are business professionals who want to better communicate with their customers and employees. You can reach out to me at trisharosebert.com. And make sure to follow me on Instagram at trisharosebert. Our friends at Interabang Books are offering a 10% discount on books we recommend on the show so you can stock your creative library. This episode's book recommendation is a classic, Julia Cameron's The Artist Way, which is celebrating its 30th anniversary. This book helped jumpstart my creative journey and helped me overcome the blocks that were in my way. Go to interrobangbooks.com and receive a 10% discount when you use promo code NOTTIMID. 
Again, that's interrobangbooks.com, promo code not timid. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us for our final episode of Season 1, Episode 10, Make Art Now. We'll be talking with Harris III, who, among many other things, is the director and curator of the Story Gatherings, an international conference on storytelling, and whose own creative journey encompasses every principle in our No Time to Be Timid manifesto. Make sure to tune in. And remember... This is no time to be timid. No Time to Be Timid is written and produced by me, Trisha Rose Burt. Our executive producer is Mia Ravegno. And our sound engineer is Adam Arnone of Echo Finch. If you like what you hear, please spread the word, subscribe to the show, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. No Time to Be Timid is a presentation of I Will Be Good Productions.